Welcome to First in Maine, your avenue to living well. I'm Debs here with my amazing co-host, Lauren, to meet you in the busyness of your everyday life, to pass along some of the insights and wisdom we've gained over the years. Don't try to figure out life alone. We want to connect you to some of the incredible, well-rounded people in our world. They're life coaches, counselors, pastors, physicians, just amazing people who can help you along the way. Each episode, we'll be sharing personal stories, practical help, and timeless principles to help you live at your best. So lean in and let's tackle life together. Hey guys, how are y'all doing? It is a beautiful morning here and we hope that y'all are having a great day so far. I woke up a couple hours ago and had my coffee this morning and I am feeling good. (laughs) Thank God for coffee. Yes. (laughs) Des, what's on your plate for the day or the rest of the week? Yeah, I mean, obviously doing this with you today, but tomorrow we've got some friends coming to stay with us who we haven't seen in a while, so I am super excited to catch up with them, and then we are leaving for vacation Sunday. Oh, that is so fun. I want to come with you guys. Come on. (laughs) Pack me in your suitcase. Yeah. (laughs) Today, I'm hanging out with my nieces. We've been hanging out all week. They're in town staying with us, and we've been doing so many fun things. We went to the Selfie Museum in Atlanta, the Fern Bank, plus we've been making desserts and doing tie-dye shirts. We've done nine tie-dye shirts Oh, my goodness. That's a (laughs) lot. brave. (laughs) Yeah, plus a 1,000-piece puzzle and... Really not sure where my head was when I decided on a thousand piece puzzle, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I don't have the patience for puzzles. I mean, you have been busy, golly. That's a lot. Um, Can you be my aunt? Yes. (laughs) Just without the puzzles. Just call me Aunt Lauren. (laughs) Just no puzzles. Got it. (laughs) We have been busy, but it's been fun. Okay, guys, so this is episode number 12, and we are still in our 60-day attitude challenge. We are halfway through it. Yeah, you know, since our attitude obviously has such an impact on the kind of life we have, we decided to just take a few episodes talking about some of the things that we find in the Bible in regards to the kind of attitudes we're to have or, you know, guard against, and then challenge ourselves to an attitude adjustment in whatever area we need one. So, Debs, let me ask you, how are you doing in this attitude challenge? I'm being challenged. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, it is in a really helpful way. I mean, honestly, my attitude has been slipping in a few areas. So, this has helped me recognize it, and I've started being more intentional, which is awesome. You know, so what about you? Well, for me, spending time focusing on my attitude has really been great and not so great. (laughs) (laughs) I have definitely found areas in my life that I need a little bit more work, but I have also found areas in my life where I've actually surprised myself on how well I've handled certain situations. That's awesome. Yeah, so we've been studying the Beatitudes because they give us eight specific attitudes Jesus said would produce true happiness and satisfaction in our lives. In our last episode, we talked about the first four, and today we want to talk about the last four. And guys, can I just say, this is what living a first in Maine life is all about. 
this is the way. The Beatitudes, like you said, are the avenue to true happiness and satisfaction, and they also come with incredible promises. They are challenging, but they can help us live better, and that's what First Domain Living is about. We align our hearts and our faith with the things Jesus shows us, and we partner with the Holy Spirit to help us outwork those things in our lives. So true. Okay, before we jump back in and start talking about the last four Beatitudes, I just wanted to give a little background quickly in case you haven't listened to the previous episode. So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is explaining to his disciples the way things really are and how things really work in God's kingdom. He begins telling them this is what the good life looks like and then lists eight attitudes of a blessed person. We shared the first four in our last episode, so if you haven't listened to that one yet, you'll definitely want to go back and listen. But today we are picking up where we left off. So here's the last four of the eight Beatitudes. According to Jesus in God's kingdom, the peoples whose lives are filled with happiness and satisfaction are the merciful because they have a certain attitude towards the way they treat others. The pure in heart because they have a certain attitude towards authenticity and devotion. The peacemakers, they have a certain attitude towards conflict and reconciliation. And the persecuted, because they have a certain attitude towards suffering and mistreatment. So here we go. We're going to break these down today. First on the list are the mercifuls. They have a certain attitude towards the way they treat others. Debs, what does this mean? Yeah, Jesus is saying, happy and mighty fortunate are those who show mercy to others. And guys, I really want us to lean into this one because mercy is kind of a big deal in the Bible. I mean, for one, our God is a merciful God. In fact, the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. And I think we get mercy and grace confused. So grace is giving someone what they don't deserve. Mercy is not giving someone what they do deserve. And You can only show mercy if you have the power in your hand to do so, because mercy comes from someone who has the right to dish out condemnation. They've got the right to judge or to punish someone, but they choose compassion instead. And the thing is, we often have a double standard when it comes to mercy, because on one hand, we like to be shown mercy, but on the other We kind of like to see others get what they deserve, especially if we've been wronged. I mean, right? right? (laughs) And nowadays, I mean, I just think this is on another level. It seems like people can't wait to see people get what they think they deserve. I mean, take cancel culture, for instance, which, in my opinion, feels a lot like, you know, a lot like modern day stonings. I mean, let's catch somebody for something they've done or something they've said, even if it was, you know, 12 years ago. Let's expose it, drag, you know, it into the public eye, and then let's destroy their lives with it, you know, stone them. So, I mean, I I am just like blown away by the things I'm seeing. I'm like, seriously? (laughs) I mean, do you want to be stoned because you've done something wrong or said something wrong? Or do you want to see that happen to somebody you love? I mean, no, of course not. I mean, more than likely, 
we beg for mercy. I just think this is an area where we need to be all the more careful because here's the deal. Those who cast stones eventually get stoned. I think we really need to remember what Jesus is saying. He's saying happy and mighty fortunate are those who have the power to condemn someone. They could dish out judgment and punishment, but instead they choose compassion, even though that person deserves the exact opposite. Yeah, I love that. So what kind of attitude would you say a kingdom person has about the way they should treat others? I'd say they have a forgiving and compassionate attitude. You know, they're able to view others through a lens of their own shortcomings and their own failures, their own mistakes and what they've been forgiven of. So I think at the core, they also have just a belief that you treat others the way you want to be treated. And that belief translates into action. That's really key because mercy is more than feeling sorry for somebody. Mercy is an action that is taken to really alleviate someone's misery, even if they deserve it. I love that Titus reminds us to actually remind people of this. It tells us, you know, tell people to be ready to do whatever's good, to slander no one, to be peaceable, to be considerate, and just always be gentle toward everyone. You know, it's saying, be ready to take action to treat people with mercy. Debs, if we remember this and have a compassionate and forgiving attitude towards others, I think it will help us become more merciful. And the promise is, if we show mercy, we will receive mercy. Absolutely. You know, I want to share a personal story with you guys, how this actually played out in my own life. Bill and I had a friend we did life with for years, and he asked us to invest with him. Without going into all the details, this is someone, you know, we trusted and we invested $120,000, which, yeah, (laughs) ultimately, and you know this, Lauren, because you've journeyed with me for a long time, it ultimately turned our lives upside down. Weeks into making the investment, he quit returning any of our phone calls and let's just say things went south very quickly. We could have taken some very serious legal action against him, and we could have, you know, said a lot of damaging things. Our families did life together. Our kids went to school together. But, you know, Bill and I really, really sought the Lord, and we chose not to do to him what he really deserved. Instead, we forgave him, and we continued to befriend him and his family. We showed him mercy. The years to follow— were some of the hardest years for Bill and I financially. We lived paycheck to paycheck. Uh, We both worked multiple jobs. At one point, we considered filing for bankruptcy. I mean, this was a very stressful and difficult time. But one day, eight years later, we received an unexpected letter in the mail from the bank, opened it up, and it was a notification that we had been forgiven of all of our debt. It was literally canceled and our credit score was perfect. You know what? That is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) we were undone. But in that moment, it was like the Lord just reminded me 
This is exactly what I promised. You know, happy and mighty fortunate are the merciful. They receive mercy. We gave mercy and we needed mercy and we received it. That is such a great story. God is so good. Thanks for sharing that one. Yeah. (laughs) I want everybody to just take a minute and imagine that you have found yourself in a place where you really are in need of mercy because you've messed up and the consequences could be really significant. Maybe you're there now. You know, imagine God pulling up your mercy giving record. You know, he's looking at all the times you've been wronged and how you've responded. And then he says, okay, I've heard your request for mercy. I'm going to grant you the same measure of mercy that you've granted to others. How do you think you would feel? Would you be like, (laughs) or would you be like terrified because you knew that you were about to be judged pretty significantly? Wow. I never thought about it that way. That makes me want to hand out mercy to like everyone (laughs) who needs some mercy. Come and get it. (laughs) This is my new savings account. I'm making lots of deposits here. Yeah. It's awesome. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. So next on the list are the pure in heart. They have a certain attitude towards authenticity and devotion. Yeah. So Jesus is saying happy and mighty fortunate are those who are authentic and undivided. So let's talk about what pure means. It's genuine, unmixed, undivided. So that means an aspect of purity has to do with being for real. If you go to the store to buy real butter, you want authentic butter, not margarine or any other butter-like substitute. So when you think about it like that, Jesus is addressing the motives and the mixture in our hearts. He's talking about not giving the appearance you're one thing when you actually aren't down deep. You know, think about it like the margarine in the butter section. It's in the butter section. It looks like butter. It's packaged like butter. But when you dig a little bit deeper, you open it up. (laughs) It does not taste anything like butter. So... The reality is, it's possible to have a form of godliness. We can look the part, act the part, but in actuality, it cannot be for real when you dig a little bit deeper. It's not genuine. I think the other thing Jesus is saying is don't have divided allegiances. We have to understand there is a battle for our hearts. Not just, you know, at the point of surrender to Jesus, but along the journey as we walk with him, there's so much that vies for our attention and devotion to put things above him. And we can desire a relationship with the Lord and even pursue him to some extent, but can actually have things in our lives that we're just unwilling to give up or give over to his Lordship. So I think when you know he's saying happy and unfortunate are the pure in heart he's he's talking about those who are for real about what's really in their heart where their motives are what their desires are and they're willing to 
take that journey to treasure him and the things of the kingdom more than anything else in this world. It's so hard to be 100% focused on anything, but if we're going to have a pure heart, it sounds like we need to keep God on the forefront of our heart and brains at all times. And how do we do that? Like what kind of attitude does a kingdom person even have towards authenticity and devotion? Yeah. I mean, you're right, Lauren. The key is they have a genuine attitude, meaning they understand being pure isn't about being flawless. It's about being honest. I always think of David when we talk about this kind of stuff, because David poured out his heart to God. And although he didn't have a sinless heart, there is no question that he loved God with a singleness of heart. And even though he drifted at times, he would acknowledge it and he'd always recommit his heart. So, you know, someone with this kind of attitude realizes they can talk to God about whatever is going on. And I mean, in those deep private places of their thought life and their desires, they can talk to Jesus about anything because that's what he cares most about, a genuine relationship with us. And the amazing thing is he has the power to change our heart. He's the only one who does. So if we actually grasp what he's offering us, it really is incredible. Yeah, it is. And You know, what's really awesome is that we don't have to worry about God judging us. He is so merciful that even when we confess our sins, he loves us so much and he's excited that we want a pure heart. He just wipes our slate clean and he forgives us right away. But for any of us to have a pure heart, it starts with being authentic with God. We have to come clean and get super honest about the good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) And that's hard. I remember this time when I was serving at church a lot, like a whole lot, all day on Sundays, sometimes and Wednesday nights. And depending on if there were big events connected to holidays or outreach programs, I was just at church all the time. And I really, I did love it. I loved being there. But after a while, I began just burning out. I just got tired of being there all the time. It was like any free time I had, I was dedicated to church and it just created a bad attitude. I was missing out on time with family and things with my friends and even sometimes taking time off of work. But here's the thing. I had to be honest with myself and figure out why I was getting such a bad attitude, especially when I loved it so much. When I realized that I just needed a break, I needed rest and a reset, it changed everything for me. Even though I was serving at church and doing God's work, that busyness took away my quiet time with Jesus. And I used to experience that with God and I needed that and I still do. And so when I got that break, it kind of just reset me and I got to have that time with God again and it got me excited to serve at church again. So I learned a couple things. One, I learned to quit acting the part or looking the parts. (laughs) And two, when we are serving God, we need to make sure that we are genuinely happy to do it. That's so good, Lauren. And I think, you know, you were doing what Proverbs 4.23 says. It tells us above all else to keep our heart because everything we do flows from it. And, you know, this is first in Maine. Just think about that above all else. Tend to your heart. Keep your heart. It's so important. 
Yeah, we need to put an emphasis on keeping our hearts. When we do, the cool thing is everything else really will follow. We'll not only do the right things, but Debs, I think that we'll do them for the right reasons. Yeah, that is so good, Lauren. So I guess if we were to like wrap that up, what we're talking about here is a kingdom person's attitude will be genuine. They want to be genuinely authentic, genuinely devoted. They're real about the condition of their heart. And although they may have battles of the heart from time to time, they really, truly, authentically desire to love the Lord with all of their heart. Yeah. Okay. So if we have this kind of attitude, Jesus gives us a promise. He says, the pure in heart will see God. And I think if we think of it like this, our eyes can't focus on two objects at the same time. So if we try, we end up not seeing either object very clearly. And if we want the blessing of seeing God, our heart must have one focus, and that is the Lord alone. You know, when this happens, you'll see him operating and moving in your life in just incredible ways. And if you get for real with him in your heart, you will see him for real in your life. And that is such an amazing promise. It is. It absolutely is. So guys, let's just take a minute and examine our own hearts. Are we being for real? Are there things in your heart that you need to talk to Jesus about? Is there a wrestle? Is there some, you know, is your heart divided? Be honest about it. And be honest about whether your heart is set more on kingdom things or worldly things. And just like David, we can pray and we can ask God to create in us a a pure heart, a clean heart, and to renew in us, you know, a steadfast spirit, an undivided, you know, just God alone spirit within us. And as we do that, the Lord will show you things that may be taking first place in your heart. And if he does, again, it's a response, a response of prayer that just says, God, you know, I genuinely desire to serve you, to have you first and foremost in my life. And I see that this thing is you know, taking priority and I need your help. I want you to be first in Maine and he'll help you. He'll purify your heart. Yeah. I think that having a pure heart is something we should be continually praying for because even on our best days, something can just throw us off. You know, no one is perfect. And so having a pure heart, a heart free from deceit and desire for other things is something that we will always struggle with. But I think if we know that and we recognize that, that is half the battle won. So asking God to purify our hearts is one of the best ways to become pure in heart. I always want a closer relationship with God and his discernment. So this is definitely an important attitude to have. Ooh, we're going right through these. Yes. <laughs> okay, so the next one on the list are the peacemakers. They have a certain attitude towards conflict and reconciliation. Jesus is saying, happy and mighty fortunate are those who make peace. You know, we have to understand God is a peace-loving and a peacemaking God. It's the reason redemption through Jesus is possible. 
I mean, God built a bridge. He came to us to bring lasting peace between us and himself and others. Yeah. So, Debs, what kind of attitude does a kingdom person have towards conflict and reconciliation? I mean, well, what God loves, they love. What he pursues, they pursue. So a kingdom person believes in making sacrifices for peace the same way God did. And again, this kind of attitude translates into action. Kingdom people build bridges. They will work to bring people into a right relationship with God and a right relationship with one another. I think it's important to mention that, you know, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, being a peacemaker is not the same as being a peacekeeper. I think many times we get that confused and in order to keep the peace, we think we should avoid conflict. And oftentimes we do that by not sharing truth. But a kingdom person understands that to make peace, truth is necessary, but they understand how to do it with grace. So like Jesus, they're committed to entering into conflicts, to sharing truth with grace, always with the hope of reconciliation. So a peacemaker is going to be someone who has what I would call a go-to or go-first attitude. They'll be the first one to apologize or do whatever it might take to make peace. But here again, you know, that doesn't mean you let people walk all over you, that you don't stand up against anything in your life. What it does mean is that you do it being spirit-led and you will be a person who loves peace and goes after peace. I think what it really boils down to is peacemaking looks a lot like going to the cross. It can look like swallowing your pride. It can look like saying sorry, even when you may not have been the person in the wrong. It could be saying good morning, even if you feel like your boss, your partner, whoever um, has like caused a division. You are a person who will construct a bridge between whoever is at odds. Yeah. You know, when we first... um started putting this episode together, I did some research and I found this quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. And it said, it isn't enough to talk about peace. One must believe in it. And it isn't enough to believe in it. One must work at it. I love that. And I really like that too. I think that if we don't have peace, it's really hard to give it. And if you are not a peaceful person, there are ways and things you can do to become one. For instance, growing your relationship with God and obeying the Holy Spirit. God tells us that the righteousness and the peace and the joy is in the Holy Spirit. I think another thing we can do to have more peace is to help others grow in their faith. Helping others grow in their faith requires us to be a good example. It almost holds you accountable for the things that you're teaching others. And then there are things we can do like being generous and doing good deeds, minding your own business. Like maybe you don't need to post that comment on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, Exercising, stretching, spending time in nature, meditating on God's word. I can go on and on. But basically, if we're going to try to become more of a peaceful person, a peacemaker, then we need to be a person of peace. So, Debs, if we have this kind of peacemaker attitude, the promise is to be called the sons of God. 
What does that even mean? You will be called the sons of God. Well, sons comes from a word which speaks of dignity, honor, and standing before God. So this is really referring to somebody who has matured from acting like a child into a son. Like we just, Father's Day just happened, and I put up a post with Aaron and Bill, and it said, like father, like son. It just means that we are walking in line with the dignity and honor of being a son or a daughter of God. And so whatever he's like, we're like. Yeah, and it really is an honor. Okay, so the last one on the list, the eighth beatitude, are the persecuted. They have a certain attitude towards suffering and mistreatment. Ouch. (laughs) Seriously? I don't know anyone who wants to suffer or be ill-treated. Yeah, this is our least favorite beatitude. (laughs) No, I mean, what Jesus is saying is happy and mighty fortunate are those who suffer and are treated in an evil manner. Now, here's the key for doing the right thing. You know, they're doing right, but they're getting wronged. They're obeying God. They're displaying kingdom attitudes and actions. And the result is they're being excluded, maybe insulted, even unfriended. I mean, I'm sure, you know, we get the point. Yeah. And I have felt this before. I definitely don't want to be someone that wrongs someone for living a godly life. I know you don't either. And I would bet that we have some listeners as well that wouldn't want that. So what kind of attitude does a kingdom person have towards suffering and mistreatment? I think the biggest thing is I'd say realistic and ready. (laughs) Ready is right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Jesus tells us all throughout the Bible that Christians are to live a very different life than those in the world without God. He also says following him won't be easy, and it's not. So if Jesus, the most perfect man to walk on this earth, was persecuted for doing right, I mean, what makes anyone think that we won't be? It's true. And, you know, it's best to be forewarned because we can then be forearmed. I mean, the reality is that it isn't easy. But if we have a realistic expectation, that can really help us. It's like you said, knowing is half the battle. Our society is growing more and more intolerant by the day. If you don't go along, if you disagree with someone else's truth uh, because it goes against your biblical morals or principles, you are going to be persecuted. That's just reality. You may be called narrow-minded. You could be looked down on. You may be mistreated. I mean, and this could even happen in church. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because you take, you know, live differently. It really can. I've experienced it. But we have to remember that we are in an all-out war between good and evil, and shots are going to get fired at us. And they're intended to wound us, so we'll ultimately stop engaging. So if we have this realistic and ready kind of attitude, the promise is twofold. It says ours is the kingdom of heaven, which means we'll get to experience God's heavenly rule breaking into our situations. But it also says a great reward awaits us in heaven. Lauren, the thing is, when you lay your head down on the pillow at night and you know you We're being true to your convictions. You know what was in your heart, why you did something, and you know it was the right thing. There is a peace that is so encompassing in those moments. 
even in the face of judgment, criticism, you know, false accusation, persecution, whatever form it takes, there's a peace that will surpass all understanding. It's the peace Jesus spoke about, and it really does trump everything else. Obedience is so powerful because it produces a joy, like a deep-seated joy in your soul that it's hard to describe unless you've experienced it. But when you have it, it really is, as Jesus said, you are mighty fortunate. Yeah. I think another thing we can remember is that if we are being persecuted for our faith, that means people are actually paying attention to us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I heard this quote once, if someone is kicking you in the behind, that means you're one step ahead of them. <laughs> I like that. I love that. Um, this position, this attitude, is it's not meant to be arrogant, but it's actually humbling, reminding us that sometimes people will disagree with us. But as long as we know where we stand, that's really all more that matters. That is really good, Lauren. Whew. I know I feel challenged again. I bet y'all did too. <laughs> But I just have to say, I am really thankful that we have the word to show us ways to live better. And I mean, we've got the Holy Spirit who can help us with all of this. I mean, what a blessing. So guys, we're wrapping up. Let me ask you just a few last questions. You know, is there any area where you need to take a stand? Or maybe you are in a situation like Lauren described, you're getting kicked from behind. Either way, what are you going to do? Are you ready to stand with Jesus, even if it means you might suffer for it? Think about it. So what is your attitude going to be like moving forward? Are you going to try and keep these be attitudes in mind? Join us again next time as we continue in our 60-day attitude challenge. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to meet you here again at First the Main, your avenue to living well.